Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, your host, Leslie Thomas. Today, I am so pleased to share another fantastic guest with you, Lou Hamilton. Lou is a multidisciplined artist, author of three books, host of the Brave New Girl podcast, and founder of Silk Studios, the podcast guest agency. Lou is passionate about people's stories and how they can positively impact the world. She sees the potential of audio platforms to give everyone a chance to use podcast guesting as a way to connect with the world and share their wisdom, insight, and courage for the benefit of others. Lou's other passion is painting, and she creates large-scale, abstract landscape painting commissions for private collectors and international corporations. She is a member of Creatives for Climate and her creative and business focus is on helping people to help the planet. So welcome to the podcast, Lou. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk with me today. It's really, really lovely to have you here with us. Oh, I'm really pleased to be here. It's a good topic. Hopefully. So I always start by asking my guests the same first question. What is your money story? Yeah, it's like a sort of long winding road. So I'll try and sort of keep it, keep it short and sweet. But I guess growing up um, when I was primary school, we were, my dad was an accountant, but kind of in his early career. So things weren't, um, I guess things were sort of quite tight. You know, we'd, we'd go, we'd have our, get our clothes in jumble sales and, but as his career developed um, and he sort of grew through his company, I guess things got easier as, as we got older. And and then by the time we hit, the high, by the time I got to the, into sick form, he and his sort of fellow directors then did a management buyout. And it was one of the first management buyouts in the country. So it was quite a thing at the time. And, and then I sort of left home and, um and and you know they they were doing very well and um but I went off to art school <laughs> and uh and I just had it in my head I, I think I always had a very strong sense of um time being the ultimate luxury and the t- that time was the thing that I was working to to have so that I could make my art um and so yeah um that that seemed kind of more important thing to chase than than money and and you know after art school we lived in Scotland and you know very rural um sort of doing art commissions and 
um, part-time jobs to sort of get by and we were on the enterprise allowance scheme for a bit and um, and just kind of you know did what we had to do to um, give us the time to make the work um, and started doing sort of commissions and things and um, but that was kind of sporadic so it was very kind of living by the seat of our pants but very um, happily happy to do so because it meant that we could, you know, I could make the work that I wanted to make. Um, and, and then, um, I came back down to, um, to, I came back down south and I did an MA in public art. And that was much more geared around looking at, um, uh, making work for commission, um, for corporations, for, um, uh, public areas. And, and with a sort of much more kind of commercial head on it. Um, but still that was hard. You know, at the, the time there were, um, something called percent for art. So whenever, um, a company did a bill, so like for a, um, a, a town council or, a, um, a, a county council, um, a certain percentage of that would go to, to art. So I did a commission for, um, nationwide headquarters were building their new buildings in, in Swindon. And, um, as their percent for art, I was commissioned to do a, a big sculpture by the end four. So, so I, t- I guess in terms of money, it was very sort of up and down and project by project and muddling through, um, but doing, you know, what I loved. Um, but I did have this kind of money story that, um, as creatives, we, we didn't make money, mm. which obviously is completely ludicrous. You know, there are plenty of, uh, very, very successful artists and, and creatives who make a ton of money. But there was just something this, and slightly sort of, um, in, in the art school sort of mentality of, um, you're selling out if you make money from doing what, what you, what you love. And, you so know, was that message actually coming from within the art school as well? I think it was just, it was kind of predominant everywhere. And um, so people like Damien Hurst and Tracy Emin were coming up behind us and they turned that on its head. And they, you know, particularly Damien Hurst, they were like, well, you know, marketing, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to um, make a living doing what we love to do. And, and therefore be able to carry on doing what we need to do, then we need to market ourselves as artists that sell. And, and so he was incredibly successful at that. And, and that did kind of turn the tide, but there was still a kind of, um, you know, he took a lot of flack for that and, and, and not just from, you know, the general public, but from the kind of art world as well. But, you know, he was right. Yeah, and has been proven to be right. Yeah. Um, and, and so I guess sort of over time, I started to see that, you know, I, I, it was harder to, um, to live kind of cheek by chowl and, and, you know, project by project. It, it was, you know, taking a lot of time to just make that happen. And I, I was, um, I got into the film industry. I was directing documentaries and a lot of that was time was spent raising money um to make to get films off the ground and and feeling less and less creative and 
So when I turned 50, there was, it was a kind of big turning point for me. Um, my, my kids were leaving home. My grandmother had died. I was very close to her. Um, and, um, and they were sort of, as they were flying the nest, I thought, well, you know, perhaps I could fly the nest too. And, and what does the future look like for me? And, um, I started drawing this character, Breaking Girl, and, and a couple of books came out of that. And then I started a, a sort of t-shirt business that had Brave New Girl on it. And, and that was kind of, I guess it, that was ticking by. Um, it was sort of paying it. It was sort of washing its face. But I didn't, I never felt that I could get past that. It always seemed to have this kind of big block in my head that I couldn't get past. And I think part of it was sort of holding tight to this sort of sense of that if I let go of my time, then I'll lose my ability to make make art and um and anyway so I actually went on a business retreat and I thought you know maybe this is going to be the thing that's going to help me kind of get past this this mental mental block and and when I went um it was brilliant it was run by Charles Osmond it was the one retreat and it's an amazing experience um but everyone was talking in this kind of business language that I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about when they they were talking about sales funnels and lead magnets and at the time it was just like absolute gobbledygook they might as well be talking russian a foreign language yeah yeah and uh, <laughs> i can remember that as well <laughs> but i did kind of take on board what slowly what they were saying and i could see that i could map out a path um that would would mean that it was a it could be a lot more in my control and that I could kind of be more proactive um, on my journey. Um, and at the same time, I was I was painting. I'd gone back to painting and I was doing these big paintings. Um, and I was getting, you know, sales and exhibitions. And, um, but again, kind of haphazard. And so I started this podcast guest agency because I'd, I'd already begun a, a podcast and I really felt like it was it very it was very aligned to a lot of my artwork that I've been doing in the past which was around kind of giving women a voice and a platform and uh and so the podcast had started obviously that I was doing that for nothing um but then I had this idea well I can get I, I have these women coming onto my podcast but I could actually help other people get onto other people's podcasts and have a sort of bigger reach that way and actually do that as a business model around the things that I'd learned um, with the one retreat. And and so I started the agency and and that's that did actually um I found that that was a model that really worked for me. I really felt like I was doing something good and helpful and serving others in a way that um I could give value and, and sort of fitted in with the way that I work and think and 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 want to spend my time and uh and so and then from that another a book came and then I'm now creating an e-course around around all that and so that sort of slowly sort of fed out from this original um retreat that I went on and the understanding around how you you develop your business bit by bit and and make it grow around the things that you're passionate about and, but at the same time I, as I was, I was painting on the side and, and, and still, still kind of knowing that I had something, um, 
that was stopping me going going for it. And um, and at the one, one retreat, I'd met this woman, and she was a um, an RTT hypnotherapist. And and I thought, well, why not kind of go to her and see whether I could actually um, sort out this money mindset? And obviously, you know, that's quite an untangible thing to know whether something's going to work or not. Absolutely, and, yeah. And I'd found that um, somebody else I knew had gone to her and they'd wanted to give up drinking. And, you know, before they saw her, they were drinking. After they saw her, they drank no more. Mm. So obviously it worked for her. I thought, well, let's give it a go. I've got nothing to lose. And uh, so I had three sessions with this woman. And uh, and literally one week later, I had an email completely out of the blue from somebody that lives nearby asking for, um, uh, wanting to commission a six-foot painting from me. And um, I'm happy to pay the money that I charge for um, for, for doing commissions. And and then from from there, um, straight away another commission came in, and that was just before the Christmas. And then in the January, I got a call completely out of the blue um, from um, somebody that worked for Canary Wharf PLC, and they had um, a, a, a space in an atrium where they wanted two six-foot paintings. And she'd seen one of mine, and she wanted a like a sort of sister painting to go with it. So she she commissioned the, the, the sister one and bought the other one. And and then after that had gone up, she then came back to me and said that she wanted to commission. They had a new building that had gone up. It's called One Park Drive in Canary, part of the Canary Wharf um, uh, buildings, and uh, it's fifty-seven stories. And she wanted pairs of four-foot square paintings to go on every floor. Fantastic! What a that project! Was, yeah. So I felt well. I think that hypnotherapy worked in some way. I can't. I can't tell you how, except that something. You know, maybe if I hadn't have done it, I would have been too scared to do that, or I might have said no. But um, whatever, these opportunities came, and I grabbed them with both hands. And yeah, that's amazing. Went, with, went for it. Yeah, amazing. I'd like to come back to that story, if I may, a little bit later. But I'd like to go back a bit further again to your childhood. You know, with your parents when you were growing up. Where do you think your belief around being a creative you shouldn't be charging good money for what you were doing because we know it forms in childhood don't always know what that trigger is but do you know what it was for you well I guess there was always the kind of um the thing that artists sort of live in garrets and and you know are poor and don't you know their paintings don't sell until um, after they're dead, you know, like, I don't know, Van Gogh or whatever. And I guess that was in my, um, my sphere of, of something that would have been talked about because my grandfather had been a, um, famous painter. Um, he had started to sell well at the very, at the end of his life, but he, only, he was only 43 when he died. And, um, and I know that there'd been a lot of poverty around all of that um you, you know probably even when he was selling it that in those days they probably weren't selling 
for a lot of money, but you know, it was just great that he was selling and he, that he was well known. But so I guess that was the, um, that probably was talked about when I was a child. So, um, and then as you, as you grew up and I, you know, as I started learning about artists and, you know, they just always seemed to be poor, always seemed to be struggling, lived in, you know, poverty, um, struggled to buy paints and, you know, so I, I guess that that was the myth that I grew up with. And do you think because of the artists that have come since then, so, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, Picasso, you've mentioned Damien Hirst and Tracy Emin, and I've forgotten the name of the guy now who does the, um, he's, ne- he's never been seen and his pictures disappear on public buildings. Banksy. Banksy. And we all know the value that his paintings go for, etc. Do you think that has now done a a really good service to creatives in actually realizing they can charge for their their talent? It isn't something that they need to feel embarrassed about. Do you believe that creatives now are more stepping up into their worth, or do you think it's still inherent? in creatives to feel slightly embarrassed about charging for what they do i think i think both yes and i think um you know artists are much more aware that it is possible to to earn money from from what you do um lots still struggle lots still have to have jobs on the side in order to do what they want to do um but they also know that you can charge well for it and you know and that's a sliding scale as you get more famous you you know you know there you can um artworks get charged you know they they pay huge amounts for for artworks um and you know millions and millions and millions for artists who are still alive so you know it, it is both um but i but i also think on the other side of it is that um there is this thing that people are reluctant to pay for things that they perceive you to be doing that you something you enjoy doing. Um, so, I mean, that, that, you know, that's the same for, I don't know, yoga or um, I don't know, things that, you know, people are passionate about and then they try and create a business around it. And then there's a sort of slight reluctance, but you know, you love doing that, so why are you charging? Um, type thing. So I think there is still a bit of that um, around, but I but I also think that um, maybe the pandemic has helped a lot with this. That you know, if you can come, if you can find a way of, of um, making money digitally, doing something online from what you do, then you know the the world is your oyster, and you know your your audience is so much bigger than your than your locality. Um, and I think that a lot of artists have kind of really stepped up and gone, well, you know, I can share my talent and I can, I can teach online. I can, you know, I can sell prints of my main work. You know, there's lots and lots of ways that, that the online world has opened up for artists. Mm-hmm. And, do, and do you think for those artists who are, you know, are struggling and, you know, have, you know, other jobs to help him bring that income, does it all come back to, you know, a lack of self-worth 
in terms of them really recognizing the ability that they have and having the courage to go and promote the ability they have. They have that reluctance. And if they have that reluctance, nobody else is actually going to see the value that they're offering. Yeah, but I I also think that that's the same for many people across every walk of life. And and that's why I really believe that um, there's a huge importance in learning about money and learning about value um, you know, back at school, back in art school, back in university, you know, when, when none of these things are taught. Um, and, and to sort of, for people to develop a healthy money mindset that will carry them through whatever it is that they want to do, however they want to, to make their way in the world, um, until you have a really good understanding of, of how money works and, and, um, that it isn't this thing that's um, for the privileged few, that it is for everybody and that it is um, an energetic um, value exchange. Um, when everybody understands that, then then they all have access to that. And, and so I do, I, I really believe that it needs to start at the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, no, couldn't agree with you more. You know, and I see that, you know, in so many of my clients, they have the talent, they have the ability to do you know, whatever it is they're doing, but because they lack that sense of self-value, they don't actually themselves make themselves visible enough. They don't reach out and let other people know how they can help them because they have that reluctance to do so because they don't feel worthy of that attention. And that's because they are very much linking their own sense of worth and value to what is going on in their bank account, essentially. And it's only when we start to decouple our sense of worth and value from that number in our bank account, are we able to recognize that the skills we have, the talents we have, and it might not be that we're particularly creative, but we are good at other things. We're good at listening to people. We're good at offering advice. We're good at providing a service that other people want. It's just we have a reluctance to want to truly step into that and charge what somebody will pay for it. And I think that is something that, as you say, it's not just inherent amongst creatives. It's inherent amongst a lot of people running their own businesses. And it's only when they truly are able to recognize what it is they do for other people, the transformation they bring for other people, the enjoyment they bring for other people, it's only then can they actually think about truly charging what that transformation, what that enjoyment actually is. And I think fear has a massive part to play too. I think that, you know, once you identify, yes, understanding and identifying your, your own value and, and, and what it's worth to other people, but also identifying and being aware of the fear that is stopping you moving forward, stopping you charging, stopping you valuing yourself and, and what you're offering. And I think for me, a lot of the fear was around time. And, and it was only when 
I started to feel that I'd that I'd I'd found a model that worked for me with the agency and I was like well I don't have to build it to be a massive business with a huge team where I'm going to be spending all my time managing people I don't have to make it like that but just because lots of people do do that with business that doesn't have to be the way for me um I don't need to have a ton of money to be able to have the time to do the things that I, I love to do which is to paint and to be with friends and to you know connect see the world yeah connect, and connect yeah and uh, and so once I'd realized that then I could then design the agency to work for me so that I could work on it when I when I um, chose to and it would re- it would release time for me to do the other things, and and so recognizing that you know I didn't want to build um, I don't know seven eight figure business to then get to the point where I have a massive team to then give me enough time to do the thing that I wanted to do. I could miss out that whole middle bit and just be where I am now, and uh, and that was hugely liberating so I think once you identify the fear what is that fear and how can you um, resolve that fear alongside um, uh, creating a more healthy money mindset Mm -hmm. what's interesting in what you said there is um, a lot of people think that limiting beliefs are the, the danger the limiting beliefs are what limit them when I have a real strong philosophy that it's not the limiting belief, it's the limiting decision that we take, you know, as a result of that, that limiting belief. Because we can always push past limiting beliefs, you know, the whole feel the fear and do it anyway. But when we make a limiting decision, that is actually when we stop taking the action that's going to move us forward. And something that you said there pricked a thought in my mind that you still seem to have coupled your sense of your your the value that you have around freedom and that freedom being eroded because you will have to work hard to make more money. And actually, you don't necessarily have to have a big team and lose your sense of freedom, but also make more money. It is possible to have freedom, make more money, and not necessarily have a big team. So I think there is something in there where you still have, and this is what happens very often, our values can start to feel threatened, where we feel time is far more valuable than money, Therefore, I will deprioritize money because I fear I can't have both. You know, money can only be had in large amounts if I work really hard. And I think there's a decision that you have made in there somewhere that says, I can't have both. And I think that's really, really interesting because that's what lots of people do but don't realize they make a limiting decision because it's out of kilter with their values. 
Yeah, and I think that's why I I decided to create the e-course because I could see that there was a way of um, giving more more people more accessibility to what I was offering, um, but in a way that um, I could reach reach more people, um, but in in a way that kind of would could align to me not having to invest so much time into that once it once it was once it's been done. Yeah. Um, but also I've come, I've been really feeling at a, a crossroads and, and I've been sort of sitting with that and, and trying to work what, out what that is. And, and I know that, um, with the, the latest series of the podcast, I became very aware that what I wanted that to be was much more focused on women who are having an impact in the world. And part of that is the, is the climate change. Um, thing and, and and that's become more and more important to me, particularly since my painting is very much around abstract landscapes, but thinking about the environment and the physicality of the the, the universe that that we live in, and and so I I have been kind of kind of standing in this place of of wondering what the next thing is, and it, it felt like it needed to be something that that was much bigger than me. And, um, and I, I had, um, it was this week, I suddenly realized what that was. And I knew that it was that I, I felt that I'd really, um, got a really good solid grounding with the agency and the podcast, the book and equals, and that I've, I've sort of, um, I've laid my foundations and that, and, you know, the mat, uh, Maslow hierarchy of needs. You know where you've got your kind of basics in place, and that as you as you go up higher, you you start to do your connections and and the sense of belonging, and um, and then higher to the sort of self actualization and and working towards bigger a bigger thing than you. And uh, and I've been thinking about this thing of belonging and fitting in. And in the business world, I feel I fit in, um, but I didn't. But I, so I've been looking for where I can belong. And I suddenly thought, I know what it is. I know that I need to be with creatives who are working towards, um, solving the, the climate crisis. And, uh, and I, and I thought either I've got to start that or I've got to find an organization that is doing that. And, uh, and so I did a quick search and immediately came across, uh, creatives for, for climate. And, and it just made everything fall into place because suddenly I know that the people that I want to be championing through the agency are those people who are passionate enough about the planet and about the people that live on it. I know that those are the people that I want to have on the podcast. And I know that that's what's going to be my next book. Um, and I know that the, the course will, will help those people too. And so suddenly everything felt like it came together and you know and that the painting is all part and parcel of that and so that I it felt like I was suddenly released to to feel right I can really go for this now because I know who who I'm with I know where I'm going I know why I'm going and I know how and uh yeah so that's just come to me in the last few days so yeah (laughs) Questions just come into my mind with you saying that. Which came first for you? Empowerment 
or the podcast. Because I'm getting a sense that you feel empowered now and that your podcast is helping to, will help to further that, to further drive the intention that you have, that you're very, very clear on what your intention is going to be. Do you think that intention came? Do you think that intention came because of the, of, of the podcast or the journey that you've been on that has allowed you, encouraged you, given you the confidence to have the podcast, that percolation of that intention has come as a result? Yeah, I think it's been like lots of pieces of the jigsaw puzzle all kind of being put into into place and I think it started um well I, I guess there were seeds way back when I was um doing my public art and we, we did this big performance at Union Chapel called Silent Voices and it was about giving voice to to women with you know and this was pre-technology pre-internet pre-everything and you know we were doing these we projected these giant mouths with the words of these women that we'd um that they'd sent to us on postcards um, and so I guess that was the seed. And, and so when I had gone to the one retreat and was thinking about the agency, I was thinking, why does this feel so important? And, and then I remember that and I was like, yeah, that's, this is now technology has caught up. So I can now do this on a global scale. Um, but also it, I guess it also started when that point when I turned 50 and, um, you know, I sat down and I started drawing again and out, out, out of my pencil came this little character called Brave New Girl who I thought was, you know, I kept drawing her and, and sort of had these little inspirational sayings and, and she did become a book. And I thought what she was about was to sort of um, give to my children as they went out into the world. But I guess looking back, actually, that was my subconscious. <clears throat> that was my subconscious saying to me you can be brave you can do whatever it is that you you want to and need to do you just need to find the thing that you're passionate enough about that you'll you'll really go for it and you know that was seven years ago so mm. it's it has taken it does take time it takes time to find all the little pieces that you can then put together to then go okay right now it all makes sense now I'm going for it and I think as well what I loved about that story is, you know, our subconscious can be both a friend and a foe. You know, sometimes for the, for the very right reasons, it can try to keep us doing the same thing it's always done for our fear that we are going to get it wrong. We're going to embarrass ourselves, put ourselves in harm. Um, but equally, when we have provided enough evidence to our subconscious that we know what we are doing, that we have a plan, that we've thought it through, then it comes along and starts to support us. And what you've said in your story there was you have been creating that level of evidence. You've been providing that evidence to your subconscious for it to actually say, ah, Lou knows what she's doing. She's given real thought to the direction she now wants to go in. She's not just suddenly woken up one morning, thrown back the duvet and gone, I'm going to do something completely different today. You've actually had that considered time to work out what you want your next steps to be, what that intention is going to be. 
and your subconscious has said, okay, I'm going to help you to truly believe that you can do that and we're going to do it together. And I love, you know, I, I can, I can see how you, you've changed during this conversation and that, that level of confidence in talking about the next steps for you. There's been a real solid platform that you are building each step along the way rather than it being like a big lake. And you're not quite sure if the middle of the lake is as solid as the edge of the lake. You know it's solid because you've been doing this thinking and this development of the ideas and pulling the different ideas together. And your subconscious is saying, yeah, I, I, I can see what you've done here. It's looking good, girl. What you're doing is looking good. Let's go and do this together. And that feels to me as though you've you've really really created that intention and it's 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 something that you feel you can step into really really comfortably yeah it really feels like it makes sense now and that it's yeah as you say sort of rock solid and and i i feel like it's a springboard now and um and i'm really really excited about that and what i'm really excited about is that i'm nearly 60 and and to feel like, wow, this is the beginning of something massive is, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, what a great thing for for all of us who are, you know, midlifers and beyond that, you know, whatever's gone before doesn't doesn't dictate what is is for you in the future. Absolutely. And what and what do you, what is it in you, do you think, that has shifted? where you've moved away from being that that very uncertain artist when it came to being able to charge what your paintings were worth etc to now being feeling as though you're you're really aligned with who you want to be and how you want your future to be there seems to be a, a real confidence there that wasn't there when you were younger so what what has shifted for you do you think well, I, I do think that it was um, creating the the model of the agency, podcast guesting agency, and actually getting some, actually making money with that. And and I think it is the sort of Maslow hierarchy of needs that once you've once you've got those kind of essentials met, and you've got this kind of solid base, you can then start to kind of really look outwards and go, okay, well. My needs are met. Those of my close ones around me are met. Um, I can now look outwards and yeah. see what I can do. And, and I think that's the freedom of, um, having a certain amount of money that will lift you to then do good for others. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be very much. You know, I don't have big outgoings. So for me, it doesn't have to be very much for that to be the, um, for that to be the springboard yeah yeah so what would you now what would what would Lou today be saying to her her younger self in terms of the lessons that you have learned the advice you would like to give to Lou back in the day when she was a lot younger yeah I was I have to say I, I it sounds a weird thing to say but I was a really really good artist in my early twenties, I was I was really exploring and pushing things in a way that other people weren't, and 
and then I kind of I think I retreated into this thing of somehow you know trying to make money left right and center and I think I would I would say to her you're bloody good stick with this and you will make money you'll make the money that will allow you to to do more of this and um and believe in that and believe in yourself I'd definitely say that is there anything that you would change today from where I stand right now yeah yeah no nothing (laughs) all the good the bad and the ugly it's all part and parcel of getting to where you are isn't it absolutely and I think when you can get to that point where you say it might not the, the the journey here may not have been perfect, but actually the journey here was the exact journey I needed to be on to be where I am now. Then that is when we know all those parts—the good, the bad, and the ugly—have all contributed to being where you are and who you are today. What does the next chapter look like for you? Yeah, well, I'm really excited about this creatives for climate, and I think uh, this is—I've just literally just opened the front cover, and there's just a whole massive, massive volumes of, of things that I can get involved with, and people I'm going to be meeting, and um, art that I can create that can communicate the message in a way that isn't about fear, putting the fear of God of people into what's going to happen if nothing gets done i think that the messaging has got to change i think we've got to be talking much more about what little things that we can do from where wherever we are from wherever we're standing do something now and and together we can we can make that difference and what are you most excited about i think that as an artist being able to make a massive impact I think that's really exciting. And what's the impact you'd like to make? Yeah, help help try and get us to um, yeah, carbon neutral. Yeah, yeah. And going at it from the other way, what do you think your 85-year-old, 90-year-old self would be saying to you if they could come and have a conversation with you now? Oh, enjoy the ride. And I think that's a thing, isn't it? For lots of us, I think we realise that it isn't the destination. It is very much the journey and enjoying all aspects of that journey, not being in a rush to get to that next stage, essentially. It's all those things in between. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think it's something <clears throat> really good to remember is the thing that I I thought, you know, why I talked about my dad at the beginning was because, you know, he was an accountant. And, you know, he understood numbers and, and I thought, well, because I'm not an accountant and because I'm an artist, I don't understand numbers. So I can't do that. And then when, you know, his, his business went bust, I thought, well, he's an accountant and it will go, and it all goes wrong. So I've got no hope. And, and that's not right. That's, you know, I, I don't, I didn't have to feel, feel like that. And, and I've proven to myself that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I've proven to myself that when you decide that you're going to learn something, that you that you can, and it may be hard. And for me, it really felt hard and difficult, and it was something that I had to. I really struggled with, but I knew what the end goal was, and so 
that's what I did and that's what I got through and, and, and that's why I'm where I am now. And, and I, and I talk about that because I really feel like, you know, if I've been able to do it, then anybody can. And I think you're so right there in what you say, Lou, that, you know, very often, you know, we take our money story from our parents, but actually as we get a little bit more savvy with regards to what's going on with us in our relationship with money, we realize our parents' money story isn't necessarily relevant to us. Just because your dad was an accountant doesn't mean you were going to be good or not so good with numbers. Just because your dad sadly lost his business doesn't mean again that you were not going to have the ability to manage money yourself we do just sadly make that connection, take on that money story. And when we realize it is just that, it's a story. It's something that's relevant to somebody else to a different time. And we actually start to look at either our own inherent capabilities or what we can actually go and acquire in terms of knowledge and experience. We're moving ourselves away from a story that's simply not serving us because it was our parents' story. And our parents may have chosen to rewrite that story if they'd realized they didn't need to be living a story that possibly wasn't relevant to them. They may have been living their own parents, you know, your grandparents' story. So I think what you've said there, you know, all the listeners. Um, can actually be thinking about as well because so many of us think we're not good at something because somebody in our family we perceive to be better or we perceive somebody in our family not to be good at something so who are we to think that we're going to be good at it so I think all the things that you've said there are very very relevant we can actually decide how good we are or we're not at something or decide to get better at it. So I think that's a, you know, a really, really good thing for us all to, to take on board, essentially. So thank you very much. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation today. It's been absolutely fascinating. And I look forward to hearing more about what you're doing creatively going forward and also supporting you, because I think as far as the environment, the planet, our future in this world is concerned. It's something that we should all be doing together and not being reliant on other people to do on our behalf. So thank you very, very much and hopefully see you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk with you. And before I go, one thing I almost forgot, actually, fortunately, it's just popped into my head now. How can people find you? Well, please come and find me on Instagram, um, brave underscore new girl, but also uh, come um, to my website, www.silk-studios.co.uk. Um, I'm going to be putting a, um, a, a little um, checklist for helping you to kind of prime yourself before you pitch to podcasts. And then I've got a, an, um, an e-course coming up, which is about how to pitch to podcasts so that you can get your voice out there and your message and and share with how you serve people. That's brilliant. I think so many people will benefit from being on podcasts but don't necessarily know how to do it. So that course is going to be really, really helpful. And every all the details you've just shared then will be in the show notes so people will be able to easily reach out to you then as well. So thank you very much, Lou. 
Thank you very much for your time. See you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. If you have enjoyed it, I would love it if you would tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social media tagging me, Leslie Thomas Coaching on Instagram or the Money Mastery Business Coach on Facebook. But if you do, I promise I will give you a shout out in a future episode and I will be hugely grateful. I can also be found at Leslie-Thomas on LinkedIn. If you would like a copy of my free resource, Three Mindset Shifts to Double Your Income, then please go to leslieathomas.com forward slash let's hyphen talk hyphen money. I would love to hear from you, so please do email me at leslie at leslieathomas.com. I will reply to all messages, but please do be patient. Until next time, remember, master your mindset and in turn, you can master the money you make in your business.